Welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today we are geeking out with an alternate history panel. Alex Wallace, a previous guest of mine, recently contacted me because he had edited an anthology. Well, he got some of the authors in the anthology to join us today to educate me and to discuss alternate history. But before I bring on my guests, real quick, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to go to buymeacoffee.com slash podcast. Every coffee you buy me goes towards the support of this podcast and helps me stay motivated. I thank you for that. Another way you can support me and yourself is by getting a Libro FM audiobook subscription. Go to LibroFM.com and put in code LLTB podcast. Every subscription helps three people. You, because you get to listen to audiobooks of your choice. It helps your local bookstore as a portion of the proceeds support them. And another portion supports yours truly, myself. So thank you for that. I will add the link in the show notes. Also in the show notes will be short bios of my guests and some links they would like me to share. So please take a look at the show notes. Today, for this episode, we have Alex Wallace, Josiah, Matthew Kressel, Sam McDonald, and Charlton Cousins. In order to keep this introduction short, I'm having my guests introduce themselves when they come on. Take a listen and welcome to this alternate history panel discussion. Welcome everyone to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. Mine is more of a bookish podcast, but anything involving books and the written works is fair play for me. So really excited that uh, we have our friend Alex here who got all of you together. So let's just start off okay what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna ask a question and then you guys can introduce yourself and then answer the question so that way we're not starting off with introductions so people who are listening to this podcast are gonna get like forward for you know all right so educate me what exactly is alternate history hello uh I'm Alex Wallace. I was on this show back in 2020 where I talked science fiction and alternate history and in being so was a massive nerd. Apparently, Shanaz and you, dear listeners, like me enough in being a nerd that I brought four more nerds to be on this show with me. So, Hey, nerd the- power is good. Exactly. Go. <laughs> you know, concentrated nerd power. I bring you like five times what we had last time. So I will have you know I am a geek, not a nerd. Get your facts straight, Wallace. Oh, okay. Introduce yourself first, Charlie, before you shall speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess I'm being yelled at now. So, hi, my cousins. <laughs> uh, as usual, I'm introduced by being yelled at. Uh, I I am a writer of alternate history, and I've got a sci-fi short story under my belt and a folk anthology published with. Uh, in an anthology, Alex, our good friend Alex, edited. So that was my introduction to the world of uh, writing. Wonderful. And as you can tell by my accent, I am unfortunately British. 
Unfortunately, why unfortunately? Do we want to change that history and Very rewrite sure. it? <laughs> it might be better for large parts of the world if we did. <laughs> That's unfortunately accurate. Okay, Sam, introduce yourself. Tell me what you think is alternate history. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam McDonald. Um, I run my own blog called The Audio File, where I do many reviews, especially of audio fiction. So what is alternate history? Well, at its base, it's the answer to the question, what if? But in terms of, you know, what if major events in history were to go differently? The classic ones being, of course, what if the Nazis won World War II? What if the South won the Civil War? And obviously, there's a lot of different ways you can approach that in the world of fiction. You can take it from a purely historical point of view and have your novel essentially just be a historical novel where things went differently. Or you can, you know, take a more fantastical approach and introduce like some magical or sci-fi elements into it. You can have like, what would the Napoleonic Wars be like if dragons were real? What would World War II be like if aliens invaded? And before you ask, yes, those are both novels. And Big series. But, yeah, series. Mm -hmm. And but the point is, even if you do that, you can still like have a fairly realistic novel or you can just, you know, throw, throw everything to the wind and go crazy. There's a lot of possibilities. And that's what alternate history is, I would say. OK, uh, Josiah, introduce yourself. Uh, any comments on what's been said already? Anything to add? Uh, hi, my name is Josiah. I, um, I'm definitely a big history nerd, and I also love books and good books and good stories. And I think that Sam is right on the money with the reason that alternate history typically gets put in the category of sci-fi. I don't think is as much of the elements that make up the story. You can have alternate history that has pretty much no sci-fi in it at all. But it's that question, what if? That driving factor of it, that's pretty pretty fundamental to sci-fi of how do I understand the human experience and, and, and speculate about human behavior in a different environment? What if humans colonize Mars? What if humans in the future do this? His, alternate history is that same question, but it's applied in a different way. And what if, so, um, you know, I, to me, I think that when I think of like early alternate history, I think Mark Twain, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court. Okay. Uh, I That's like the photo example as it were. Unless right. you want to go back so, to like Livy. Right. Livy wrote about Alexander invading Rome. Yeah. Hey guys, so before you start going different places, can we introduce Matthew first, real quick? <laughs> <laughs> like, and then you guys can just go at it. Matthew, tell us about yourself and join in the conversation. Uh, my name is Matthew Kressel. Um, I am the author of the Sidewise Award winning alternate history short story, Moonshot. Imagining an Anglo-Australian uh, mission to the moon as part of a of the alternate 60 space race. And I also wrote the alternate history sp spy thriller, Our Man on the Hill, imagining uh, the infamous 1950s Red Hunter Joe McCarthy actually working for the Russians the whole time. Just to kind of add to everybody's kind of definition of alternate history, speaking for myself, Alternate history is what happens when you are a history nerd and you find out about all the things that could have happened and you go, well, why didn't it happen and what might have happened if it had? So I think that that's part of picking up on what everybody else has said about alternate history. That's very much where I came from initially in writing alternate history was looking at things that might have been, and particularly my own interest in space. Being an audio podcast, nobody can see all the pictures of NASA stuff over my shoulder in the background. 
Um, but that was where I came from initially with it was very much being interested in space and the Cold War and going, well, what about all this stuff that could have happened but didn't? So that's where I came from, at least. Oh, wow. This is great. So you're all writers, correct? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. They're and... all in my anthology. Okay. Okay. So when Alex, you say your anthology, you have you published an anthology with different stories with all these authors here. Uh, ten authors total. These were the ones I could get onto the show. Uh, okay. <clears throat> well, myself included is eleven because I have a short story in there too. So eleven stories with, and I wrote the introduction. My name is on the cover, but I, because of all this, whenever I talk about the book, I say I published a book, not I wrote a book because I only wrote a small part of it. Uh, we, like these 10 other guys are, are, wrote the majority of it, and I try to give them their due because I, I mean, I, I only built some of that. I, this sure. an anthology is a team effort, it always has been. So, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I want to give them credit. Oh, absolutely. So, what is your writing process, you guys? Like, you got, I mean, now it's free for all. You guys can keep going at it. And I'll just throw questions if I need to stop someone. I'm like, hey, what about you? So what is your writing process like? How long does it take you to write a short story, a novel? How much research does it take? Or you're like, oh, no research. We just got it down. So as probably the least qualified writer talking here, I'll start first so they can correct me. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing that I had a short story that I started for fun in high school that was in alternate history and was in dark age Britain. And I spent, I mean, if we talk man hours, we could probably talk in months of like research and things and trying to find like every arcane detail. Cause this was an excuse to just study history. Like, like Matt said, like, why did it go that way? So that story like lives in some development hell, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's just never, but this, uh, I was trying to get back into writing um, and just doing some fun stuff. And Alex mentioned it, this anthology. And so I loved the story of John Henry and folk tales as a kid. This sounds fun. So I sat down and I blitzed something out in about an hour and then went back and revised it. And then, but that's because that story was already so ingrained in me. I was Mm -hmm. just kind of, I was, it was like a, um, like an improv session. I was just riffing off a story that I already knew very well. Very cool. I mean, my story in Alex's anthology, my original spark of inspiration was the Joker in the American Revolution. Okay. Uh, uh, and it sort of then kind of got mixed in with a character in British folklore, folklore called um, Spring Hill Jack. Okay. And then I just came up with this, uh, um, and also with, I don't know if you've heard of this thing from World War II called Kilroy Was Here. I haven't, but okay. So um, basically the, what I came up with was this character I called Smiling William, who would be like a figurehead for like resistance act by the American revolutionaries. And so it's like if a British officer was killed, a letter would come out saying it was the work of Smiling William. Oh, nice. And it's just like this alternate like folk hero who goes around like helping the patriots, but also being kind of sinister and evil about it because that was kind of the vibe I was going for, sort of like revolutionary joker. That's great. And you being British, I mean, writing pro the Americans, 
that's interesting. And calling them the Patriots. I, I love it. More oh, I mean, <laughs> it's, I am a student of history, British colonial history, and writing the British as the bad guys in colonial, works of colonial history, it's quite easy, as it turns out. It turns oh. out we're pretty awful. Who knew? <laughs> You're just trying to reverse the history, right? The alternate history as if the British were the good guys. Well, not, not even that, but it's like I wanted to... Like, a lot of what I'm writing in alternate history, it's uh, I try to include elements of ho- horror writing into it and of terror and suspense, because a lot of what, I mean, academically, I, I talk, uh, uh, my focus is on colonial history, and I'm just trying to flip that a bit, make the colonised the, terror, the terrorised, no, so make the colonists, rather, the terrorised and the scared, because they so often scared and terrorized the colonized. Right. Matthew. So for me, at least with writing this story, um, it kind of came out of seeing the listing on the Sea Lion Press form. Sea Lion Press did eventually release it, where Alex had put up the, the sort of the post saying it. And me being me, he sort of said, you know, or, you know so uh, what was it? Folklore and urban legends, I think was the way you described yeah. it, Alex. Yeah. And I had to be the person that went, exactly what's your <laughs> definition of urban legends? And um, actually, my initial starting point, having uh, written an, an entire book about a TV series from the 90s called Dark Skies, was I was originally going to do something with the Roswell UFO crash and then decided that I had written enough about UFOs for, you know, for one minute and started thinking about, well, what else could I do? And I, I'm not quite sure how I hit upon D.B. Cooper, other than uh, having an interest in the case for those who don't know D.B. Cooper uh, famously got on an air, got on an airliner in the Pacific Northwest um, day before Thanksgiving 1971, managed to extort, I think it was like $200,000 out of the airline and jumped out of the back of the plane in midair and has never been seen again. Wow. Nobody knows what happened to him. Oh, and then very little of the money has ever turned up. So anything could have happened to him, which is what makes it a great story. Uh, but being an alternate history person, I kind of went, well, what else could I do with that? So what else is going on in the world at that time? And of course, Richard Nixon is in the White House. We're in the lead up to Watergate. There's an atmosphere that almost anything could have happened in the 70s. In some ways, it's remarkable that things didn't go utter dystopia for the U.S. in the early 70s. So I basically went, what if I put D.B. Cooper on Air Force One with Richard Nixon? Oh, boy. <laughs> and... My trouble with writing it actually was trying to figure out how in the world to get D.B. Cooper onto Air Force One. And it was actually one of my bosses at work um, I was talking to one day about it who actually gave me sort of the in way to doing it. And he goes, well, what if he's an intelligence officer or something? You write spy stuff. What if he's one of those? And I went, ka-ching. And he actually, for anybody who reads the story, uh, towards the end of it, there's two Secret Service agents. The Secret Service agents are named for him. Uh, as a way of saying thank you to him. But I wrote the thing fairly quickly once I figured out how to do it. But at least in terms of my writing process, it varies from project to project. I mean, Our Man on the Hill was two-thirds handwritten, which I don't recommend to anybody. Why would you do Um, that to yourself? Okay. I mean, I I would never do that because I am literally medically diagnosed with bad handwriting. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, my, my philosophy with it was, as I started typing it, I think it was what's today, chapter two of it was originally <clears throat> typed and I got stuck and I couldn't figure out where to go. And I remembered that John le Carré, Neil Gaiman, uh, Nigel Neal all hand wrote first drafts of their stuff. And I went, oh, well, this is a short story, not a novel. So I can do it that way. And I, I learned that lesson very quickly that I hadn't started writing a short story. I'd started writing a novel. Wow. Oh boy. Okay. Handwriting. Okay. That, that's good. Next step, handwrite the whole novel and edit the whole novel in handwriting. Uh, <laughs> red pen. Red pen. Enough exams in the last two weeks. That, that sounds awful. Uh, Sam, what's your book about? Your, uh, the anthology rather. Story. Yeah. The story, the story in your, in the anthology. Okay, well, my story is called Coyote and the Great Sturgeon. Um, it takes place in a world in which Japan colonized California. One of my big things in alternate history that fascinates me is thinking, well, what would happen if the colonization of the New World went differently? Specifically, what if we had non-European nations getting involved? What might that result in? And so the way I approach this story is I actually have written um, some adaptations of folk tales for this website called The Moonlit Road, which covers like ghost stories, folk tales, and urban legends from across the American South. And one of them was an adaptation of the Japanese myth of Urashima Taro, which I recast in 19th century Shreveport. So I approached this story thinking, okay, it's an alternate um, world. What sort of stories might I be retelling in the world? So I thought about how stories and legends would change as the Japanese colonists brought them to this new land. And in Japan, one legend they have is that the reason there are earthquakes in Japan is that a giant catfish um, is under Japan. And every time it wiggles, earthquakes happen. But there's this water god who holds the catfish in place to keep that from happening. But occasionally his grip will slip and the catfish wiggles and there are earthquakes. So I think, okay, Cal California is prone to earthquakes. How might we um, um, see that legend change? And Shinto is a very syncretic religion. So you see gods from other pantheons getting added into it. So I think, okay, what sort of Native American gods might they incorporate? So I take the trickster god Coyote, who is common across several tribes. And I think, okay, how might he get worked into all this? And so I craft a story of a sturgeon, because, you know, that's a fish native to California causing issues and how the colonists have to enlist Coyote, but he's trying to, you know, trick them into giving him some stuff, but he winds up being the one who gets tricked in the end. Uh, I'm I'm just getting hungry for seafood now. I'm like, all you think you said catfish, and I'm all I can think about is filleting a catfish and how am I gonna cook it? And then you go into sturgeons, and I'm kind of like, wow, this this is never heard of fish causing such an alternate history, but how did you guys meet? Uh, on the Sea Lion Press forum, uh, Sea Lion Press is the uh, British publishing house, first publishing house dedicated to all in history that I am on. And I got the, the, the go ahead from uh, Tom Black, the guy who runs it, to to put this together and the publishing house will publish it and to put out the, uh, the ad and uh, y'all responded. Sea uh, Lion Press, by the way, named after the planned German invasion of Britain in World War II. That never happened, obviously, and which is 
provides much fodder for ultimate historians. Mostly but also the well, every subculture has its memes, and so the sea line because you know early on in kind of the early stages of the internet, that story got told. Versions of that story got told so many times that everyone kind of got burnt out, and it just became a meme. So like like so the this this character like the meme in alternate history above all others is the sea lion. So, yeah. and, and I'm just gonna add briefly that. These guys might have met on the Sea Lion Press forums, but I found out about the anthology and many of them as well through the Alternate History Online group on Facebook. Which, full disclosure, I run. So, okay. so like, I, 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 I used my, uh, the bully par pulpit of the administration, like, hey, I have an anthology. You want to be it? <laughs> Matthew, you look like you want to say something. You're just like, like ready to jump in. No, I, w- I was just going to comment. This is what happens when the internet brings a bunch of nerds together. But this is good, right? Yeah, oh, it's, it's so much fun. Because history, realistic history, real history, before we had the internet was quite separate. I mean, how would all of you get together in such a history? I mean, there'd be local uh, science fiction associations, and from there you'd have, like, the magazines you put ads in, and then they correspond by mail. That's how uh, science fiction fandom worked before the 90s, and vestiges of it survive today. I'm a member of the Washington Science Fiction Association, and so those associations still exist, and connections happen through them, but this, all of this was 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 online uh the only one of y'all that i've met in person is josiah that was and we met through a forum anyway so we had, th- thank the internet for all this and yeah. i think the coordinating the coordinating power of it is big too so that yeah yeah sure sci-fi but that would have diluted like would have been maybe three or four or five guys in the sci-fi group that were into alternate history and sci-fi and then the guys who were in a history might like like alex said and there is people who, and Matthew said, people have gotten into alternate history from the history side of things. So not, they're not necessarily approaching from a sci-fi perspective. And so, you know, they're the people who are into history, who are into alternate history is still a subcategory of that. So the, the power of a, a, what would otherwise be disparate groups divided up into a bunch of big groups, being able to form their own find that they all have a common interest in the common group is I think the, is one of the powers of, of one of the few powers of positiveness in the internet. It just, I think to uh, tag on to that, it's like, it all comes, I think, under the subgenre of speculative fiction. So and I think that this can include anything from the, like the expanse to uh, most recently, the most famous alternate history TV, um, Full Mankind, for example, is both sci-fi science fiction and alternate history. It's a very good example of both. I, I think so, and science fiction has always been open to exploring like the implications of technology and its impact on people. I think alternate history, conversely, has always been open and about exploring the impact of de- different developments of societies. Mm. I mean, one of the origins of alternate history as a, alternate history as a genre as we understand it is through uh, interwar pulp magazines doing like Narnia style portal fantasies where the other side of the portal is like a hundred years ago. And so eventually that, that portal gets removed and it's just the alternate history, but 
there is a long tradition of this sort of historical speculation within science fiction and fantasy circles. So that is one of very much one of the origin points of the genre. And then, I mean, it's a really weird genre because a lot of our classic books are by people who wrote one alternate history book and then went on to do something else the rest of their, their writing careers. I mean, uh, Philip Roth's The Plot Against America. Uh, more recently, uh, Dennis Bach's The Good German, which is nominated for a Sidewise. I, I, I will note, as he said, Matthew Kressel is a Sidewise Award winner. Like, like that is the Pulitzer Prize for this genre. That that is a wow. big deal. Okay. That, like, I, I, I don't want to understate the magnitude of Matthew Kressel being here right now because he's one of the, I mean, according to the Sidewise, one of the greatest living authors of this. So. I would dispute that immensely. I have no earthly idea how I got nominated, let alone one for the thing. And I say <laughs> that with no false modesty, um, given that I wrote Moonshot, which ended up winning in summer 2020, just as something to keep me occupied during four and a half months of being furloughed early on in the COVID pandemic. So the, the idea that that thing got nominated, let alone one, and that I've got a plaque on my wall behind me boggles my mind to this day. Uh, but kind of picking up on what everybody else was saying, I mean, alternate history is kind of, if you can imagine a Venn diagram of niche interests, alternate history is exactly that, because everybody comes to it from different perspectives. You know, everybody's got their own sort of interests. I mean, uh, Charlie was talking about his interest in sort of British colonial history. I have my interest in uh, the history of human space exploration. Sam mentioned folklore, but everybody brings their own thing to it. And as many perspectives as you can bring to history, you can also bring to alternate history as well. I I don't know which book I read. It's um, I think it's fantasy and history. What would that count? Like it's like where the slaves have these magical powers, and it's only the slaves have the magical powers. And then the landowners are somehow trying to harness these powers and control them. I, what would that be? Just plain fantasy? So, well, um, in, um, in alternate history, we have this term called alien space bats. Now, when it originally came out, that was for utterly implausible alternate histories. The famous <laughs> one being, like we said, Operation Sea Lion. Basically, it was going, oh, that's so unrealistic. It would take alien sea bats to pull off. But in time, it came to mean alternate history with fantastical elements like time travel or aliens or drag. Ag ends. And so for, you know, what you're describing, I would say that would be more of an alien space bat sort of thing. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, alien space bats is not inherently implausible. Like it doesn't like if you want to, you can just have it be in it, everything goes or you can like very firmly <laughs> define the parameters of your fantastic stuff and say, OK, these are the rules and limitations. Let's see how the story evolves from there based on what we have established. Alien space bats is the alternate history way of saying it would have taken an act of God. To, yeah. like, God. It, it, it literally, it literally is. This is so either so implausible that like divine intervention would have been needed, or it requires the fabric of the universe to literally be run differently than it is. So and to tie it all, tie it all back when they war gamed Operation Sea Lion, at one point they actually removed the English Channel. And it still didn't work. <laughs> like, they, okay, the they reason removed why... the English Channel in, in, their, in the war game in 
in in the war games they did after in the seventies at um, Sandhurst Military Academy, like the umpires said, okay, well, for this exercise we're going to pretend that the English Channel doesn't exist and you can just drive across it. The German invasion still failed. Yeah, th- that's why it's such a meme. It never would yeah. have actually succeeded. Like they yeah. were planning to cross the, the English Channel with Rhine River barges. This is when the, the, the Royal Navy has total control of the English Channel and the Royal Air Force has total control of the skies over Britain. Like, it would have yeah. been a laughable failure. Yeah, And it really would have ended, ended with the Nazis losing the war a couple of years earlier. Oh, they should have done it then! Yeah, exactly! It would have been great! <laughs> and that's I mean, one of the other my... things with all... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Charlie. Uh, 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 I, I, can't, I can't remember his actual name, but someone on the... Um, on the Sea Lion Fest forum, vote an AH with exactly that happening. And it's such a disaster that the Germans lose by like 1943 or something. It, it, it is such a meme. There's literally an anthology from Sea Lion Press dedicated to different takes on Sea Lion. It, it's very good too. And that's, and that's one of the things where there's also this dynamic in alternate history where a lot of the stuff that is popular and gets people into it so what if the Nazis won World War II? Horror, horror, shock value, right? That that's a that's a really bold cover that gets people to pay attention on a shelf, right? And so people who aren't history nerds like I am, you know, that might be their first in- encounter, and and they get into the the history world of the actual alternate history world, and a lot of the stuff that people who are actually heavily into the world are are into stuff that's so obscure that most people have no idea about it, but they're interested in it because of the what if. What if this random, like this guy you've never heard of from the Byzantine Empire in the 900s, like that actually changed the world. So what if that had gone differently, right? And so yeah. there is this, there's definitely a difference between what, like just like in sci-fi, pop sci-fi versus, you know, kind of what, what the what the in crowd that, that really indwells the space you know, actually is really, really interested in. And where is the overlap with conspiracy theorists and alternate history for now or for the past? Uh, when I see I them in my big Facebook past. group, I ban them. Yeah, mm-hmm. you take a flame yeah. to those guys because they're always trying to pop in. It, and- it, yeah. There's a reason why we like alternate history as a term, not alternative history. The latter yeah. implies quacks. And racist yeah. and anti-Semitic. Because let's be real, yeah. all conspiracy theories are just warmed over anti-Semitism. And yeah, exactly. So, so you see it, you you drop the hammer, that in there. Like we we, yeah. we not we, tolerate this. We, we are very clearly like I we I, I always try to make it explicit that what I'm writing is fiction. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it never happened. Like history happened. There are legitimate ways of interpreting history, and there are illegitimate ways such as. Conspiracy theorists and anti Semites and so forth, but like we, we, we do not tolerate or welcome them in our community at all. Now, alternate history certainly has people writing stories in it, uh, just like sci fi to make a point like society could have been better. This could we 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 could have done things differently and that would have been good. And well, that's true. Oh, sorry. And that obviously reflects personal perceptions of like, well, I think society would have been done better this way, but there's a vast, vast difference between saying, I think we could have done things better, because I think everyone in a room would agree that for most of human history, humans could have done things better, and essentially engaging in revenge fantasy, or... Oh, God, or, there, there's a... 
I'm not going to name it, but there's a um, for, in the revenge fantasy of bad alternate history, there was a quite an infamous timeline where Jane Fonda is executed for treason because of her visit to North Vietnam. And that's the sort of thing we try and like as serious alternate historians, we try and push back against and counter. And most, and most of the conspiracy theories aren't, and you know, your podcast is about books, right? Real right. alternate history is about telling a story. It's about mm-hmm. exactly. seeing the world and conspiracy theory is not it, 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 the people who are trying to, they're trying to create an alternate reality. They're not trying to create a good story. Right? Got it. Yeah, yeah. There's a long history of uh, wish fulfillment in Alden history, a long story of it being used for these very bloodthirsty stories that, and, and like that, a lot of bad Alden history on the internet is, is this. And just want to clarify something Charlie said that when he says timeline, we, you, we mean a work on the internet on a forum usually, which is in contrast with the book with published fiction. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I say this because so much of the Alden history genre has been done on forums in the past 20, 30 years. And AldenHistory.com was the big one for a long time. I think still is just the raw numbers, but there's the Sea Lion Press Forum. There's Alden Timeline, which full disclosure, I'm a moderator on. Uh, there is the the War and Peace section on Sufficient Velocity. Uh, there's a couple other smaller ones, but those are the four I can think of off the top of my head. There are Alden History people on Twitter. There are Alden History people on Facebook, on Reddit. Uh, I don't know if there is on TikTok. I've I, I can't understand how it would work on TikTok, but I mean, I think all history is a genre. If it's not published, it works very well on forums because so much of it is long form and updated over a long period of time. Because like when you make a Facebook post or a tweet, it gets buried quickly. Not yes. so on forums. Yeah, and so and I, I think, I think the genre is really at home in its amateur form on these forums. And also, I think there's an element, mm-hmm. even if you're writing your thing solo, like the feedback and like, the ideas and the commentary you get on forums really contributes, particularly the longer an alternate history story develops. Yeah. So- Especially since there's so much, like, uh, uh, to Charlie's point, 1632, I would say yeah. the Ring of Fire series is, like, the flagship of alternate history done, like, done well and done cooperatively. So there's one author that's, that's driving this project but he, over the last 20 years of published books, has gotten co-authors. He's gotten huge feedback from his fan base who have technical expertise and all sorts of arcane. Like, I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't have aeronautic experience. Um, I'm not an aerospace engineer. I don't know how sanitation systems work, if I was designing that. So he's gotten so, there is, you'll write a timeline, you'll run something out, and you'll hit upon something that's outside your area of expertise. And someone feed, gives you feedback going, that wouldn't have worked. Here's how, like this, like these requirements exist, and so then you adjust. Right. So there's there's a collaborative element even to independent stories in terms of the writing process for a lot of these projects. Like in a, I, to to build on, sorry, what just mm-hmm. I was just the thing I'm working on recently. I was, I was writing about um, an alternate history of modern South Africa, and at one point I, I mentioned like a dam disaster that brings down the government. And like a, a local South African who's on the forum said, oh, that's really cool. That's a really clever way of doing it. Unfortunately, you've placed this dam on the wrong side of this big motorway. And it's like, oh, OK, I'll change that for the next section. And that's the exact kind of good, useful feedback and collaboration that makes Alternate History on Forums a lot of fun. 
Okay. So I read historic fiction. Now, I was in a discussion with someone who's like, well, historic fiction is really not a genre at all because that never happened. Then I'm thinking, well, if that never happened, then technically all historic fiction is alternate history. Yeah, Gary Oswald and I, who runs the the blog that's connected to Sea Lion Press, and I have had this conversation many times because if you go to the blog and you go through my postings on there, you know, I've written about things like the West Wing and Bridgerton and trying to figure out how in the world those things work. Because to make those shows work, you have to have created sort of an alternate history for the things to branch off of. But there, there certainly is an argument you could make that pretty much any work of fiction is a work of alternate history. I think what separates historical fiction from alternate history is historical fiction tends to be, at least from my experience of it, tends to be slice of life. It's about individual people. People get caught up in events, but history doesn't change. Correct. Alternate history is about taking what happened and going, but, but what if this happens in its place? You know, what if, if you want to do it on, you can do it on the macro level, you know, what if this battle goes differently? What if this side wins this war, et cetera? Or you could even do it on the micro level. I mean, one of the things about the Sea Lion Press Forum is every month we have a vignette challenge where it's basically, here's a theme, go write a short, short story on the basis of this. And some people have written some stuff, they've written full-fledged short stories. Alex has a tendency of winning these things nine times out of 10. Uh, not that many. Um, well, it's certainly how You've it feels. You've won the first few. Like yes. eight or nine out of like doing Your it every month. Your stories are very work. good though. That's very kind of you. <laughs> you do good work. Um, but what's interesting is that those kind of do the same thing. I mean, you do have where people take ideas and go, we had an anime theme quite a while back. And, you know, everybody did one, you know, um, Alex did one from about from the perspective, if I remember right, of uh, the Japanese occupation of the Philippines during World War II. Um, I did one about what if Doctor Who, the long running British science fiction series, had got an anime uh, version in Japan, which could have happened if things had gone just a little bit differently. So you can do, I mean, the difference between historical fiction and alternate history is historical fiction, I think, is about presenting visions of what it was like to live in the past. Alternate history is about what happens if the past changes and what's it like to live in that world. I mean, I, I think that visions of what it's like to live in the past is a very interesting thing. Uh, my friend Colin Salt, who is on the Sea Line Press Forum, has two books published through, through their publishing house, two and a couple books elsewhere. Uh, he argues that histori- your typical historical fiction and all in the history, like, they exist on a continuum. It depends on how you treat your characters, how you treat the history, because if you take your t- uh, a hypothetical historical novel set in a fictional town in, let's say, Kansas, in, like, in the American West, even if the broader st- sweep of history goes the same as our world, the fact that you have a fictional town makes it technically old in history, even if nothing else changes. But you're still playing with the dynamics of history. You're playing with the elements of the conquest of the American West, disposition of the indigenous, the coming of the, the white people, and maybe immigration and whatnot. I mean, I would argue that a lot of speculative fiction, especially a lot of fantasy, is doing a very similar thing, just removed a bit, like, like a lot of fantasy comes from like people reading about the, the Tudors, the Crusades, the Thirty Years' War, Age of Chivalry, and it's just playing with the dynamics of that in a fictional context. And like I, I think all of this is on a spectrum, 
and this is like an unwritten essay I've had in mind for the Sealand Press blog, but haven't written yet. Just <laughs> I, I need to think it through a bit, but that, that that's a take I have. But and, all alternate history, right? Everything you guys have ever written to create alternate history, you have to start with history. Yes. Right. You have to so start. You, you know, you've done alternate history, right? Where if you can't remember if that's a fact from history that you've researched or that's someone else's timeline you've read. Like there's, there's, yeah, stuff, floating, there, there's <laughs> stuff floating around like in Byzantine, as I've gotten more into the history of the Byzantine Empire, where I'm like, is that did that actually happen? I have to go, have to go <laughs> check because it's so obscure and not in the front of my knowledge like 19th century or 18th century history is. But to what all these guys were saying, I think there's a lot, lot right with that. And I would add to it that with historical fiction, typically one of the parameters is history. Alternate history requires working with the past, too. Um, like you said, you have to start with history, but working with it in a different way. Right. The flow, the, the people who were around and the events that were happening and the personalities, how do they interact? How would they interact if some things changed? While historical fiction, I think the best example would be Bernard Cornwell's uh, Sharp series. So Sharp is this fictional character who does, he's like everywhere and does all these things during the Peninsular War in Spain. And there's this one story where he's in this fort and he's surrounded and he's besieged. And he has to get out with the gold for the pay for the army that's been delayed to Wellington. Well, the problem in actual history during that siege that fort blew up and it is the largest, the largest single explosion in pre like dynamite history. It was massive. And it happened with like the, the French started their bombardment and like after like two, three, four shots, the magazine went off. And we do not know to this day how on earth that magazine blew up because it was designed correctly. Like all the like how on earth there's this massive earth-shattering explosion happen. Well, Bernard Cornwall has, well, Sharp has to create a distraction to get himself out. So Sharp blows the magazine. But Sharp, like nothing in the history is changed, right? He provides an explanation. And so that's historical fiction as opposed to alternate history. I think there's, there's, there, is an, there is a sort of alternate history of the gaps, as it were. Because I, I think then you can actually just write something in real history, but like from the perspective of like, as you say, we don't know why this happened. Oh, it was my fictional character. Or I guess like the, the man, again, another example, who was the soldier who flew the red jacket at Badajoz? Another example from the Napoleonic Wars, for example. Yeah, there's a there's an adjacent genre to alternate history called secret history, which I think is yeah. kind of what we're talking about to some extent here, where exactly. in the Dark Skies TV show that I mentioned here, some of the works of Jack Higgins, as well as some of his thrillers, uh, which tie into that. So it's the idea of this is the history behind the history that we know. Being a big nerd, there's a there's a two volume duology of Star Trek novels. Khan, the famous villain from the Star Trek stuff played by Ricardo Montalban, there's a whole thing called the eugenics wars that supposedly happens in the 1990s. That's where Khan was in power and all of this, but obviously didn't happen in our timeline, but it's a big part of Star Trek's history. So Greg Cox is his name in the late 90s, I think it was, wrote two novels 
novels where he went through the events of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he created this kind of secret history where all of these little conflicts and events during that period were actually the eugenics wars. But nobody in the 20th century had any idea that was what was going on. On, but it's common knowledge by the 23rd century when Star Trek starts taking place. Okay, so to explain <laughs> secret history to like the the the, the, the layman, it, it imagine conspiracy theories, but done deliberately, and like you know it's fiction, but you're doing it for fun. Yeah, it, like and usually there's less of a a mock like a diet like I don't know what the right word is. There's usually like what if this person had been really clever, as opposed to what if you know the world is secretly run by the Illuminati. or or even if or even if the world's secretly run by the illuminati this is clearly like tongue like tongue-in-cheek right like i'm I'm not actually seriously advocating that i think this generally speaking secret history is a lot less sinister and a lot less rooted in bigotry that's the word that's true yeah it's 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 done in 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 a spirit just wouldn't be cool if that's what really happened like wouldn't it be cool if we could peek behind the curtain or like these secret of op- op- like all this like I don't know like the SOE before we knew about the Enigma in World War Two, for example. Mm-hmm. So like how how were the Allies predicting? Because the Enigma code breaking was only revealed in the seventies. So before then, you could write a secret history about whatever the Allies would. You could like oh they were using psychics, for example. That would be a secret history. Like like oh uh, I think one of the most uh, known uh, authors of secret history today is Tim Powers. Like, take his novel Declare, which is set from World War II into the 60s, and he says a lot of this is, like, cover for this supernatural war and, like, the the, the, the Soviet Union sacrificed Ukraine as a massive human sacrifice to, to, the, to the protector god of Russia, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a secret history. On the other end of that spectrum is a story, I think, by Charles Strauss called uh, The Colder War, which is basically... Oh, what yeah. if- what if all the Lovecraftian gods and whatnot existed, but it's the 80s Cold War and the Reagan era with Chernobyl and Oliver North and all that, and World War III breaks out? That's the difference between secret history and alternate history. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a little complicated for someone who doesn't read as much alternate history and, you know, all of this. So it's kind of like, okay, so it's, it's secret history is a kind of a what if, but it's not a, it's more in that time, right? Yeah, and I think yeah. like Alex said, it's all on a continuum. So, you know, categories and identification and our labels are important and distinctions are important too, but uh, over that the Venn diagram is, a, is useful for a reason. And I think if you try to over, over distinguish or over separate or make, things too distinct that's that's as unhelpful as having no categories as, at all right so is are there anything any historic events or themes in alternate history that have just been done so many times it's like beating a dead horse like you talked about if the nazis won world war ii you know are there any themes that's just like oh my gosh not another book about this can i yeah, can I say as the one Southerner on the podcast, Confederate victories of the American Civil War. We uh, do not need any more of those, please. As a Yankee who lives in Virginia, I object to you saying you're the only one from the South. And, uh, <laughs> and I wholeheartedly agree that we, we've we done that to death. I, I mean, I think all the American 
sincere other than Shanaz lived south of Mason Dixon line. Josiah and I in Virginia, Josiah grew up in North Carolina. Sam's from Louisiana. So I take back what I said. I apologize to everybody. <laughs> uh, I'm from Coventry. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, any history there done like where you're like, I am do not want to read about this alternate history. I mean, Nazis winning World War II has been done to death. Confederates winning the Civil War done to death. Those are the two big ones. And like, even then, I'm willing to to, to try out those if they put a new spin on it. Like, if you want to do a World War II, focus on East Asia, like the Japanese. Like, like they don't get that much of their due. And I, like, I'm half Filipino. I, I, I want to hear this. And I've written some stories w- with that point of divergence. I, I, I mentioned... Uh, that alternate history as a genre is really weird because a lot of our classes are written by people whose involvement in the genre was one and done. But like sometimes they can come up with very interesting takes on on what we consider cliche. Like more recently, a Dennis Box uh, Nazis win World War II novel, uh, The Good German, which is set in Canada mostly, and that was a very good book because he has a very literary flair of going about it. It's a very good book, and it's not cliche in the way. It, it's it's told. I mean, the genre has its own writing conventions that it's. I think it's really growing out of, especially come the like mid twenty tens, because there was a lot published by Bain Books, a big science fiction publisher in the nineties, and like a lot of the other science fiction publishers had their own alternate history books that they they threw out there, and so it, it's moving out of that narrow science fiction niche, and it's becoming something else. I'm not 100% what that is exactly, but it's becoming something else. And I'm interested in seeing what it becomes. Sam, Sam, what are your thoughts? You haven't said much. Um, well, I agree. I agree. There are those scenarios that have been done a lot, but you can do potentially interesting things with them. Like um, one thing I've in with regard to the South winning the Civil War, war type things is that i've seen it's not super frequent but i have noticed some people considering like what if there was a communist revolution in a victorious confederacy like i've thought of that my elf because you know it seems like the sort of environment where you could with the right nudges get that sort of thing so i think hmm well you know that could be something that's potentially interesting um i think enough Speaking purely to the, you know, Southern Victory type series, one of the big pitfalls there is a lot of them tend to, to varying degrees, play into the Lost Cause narrative, which was, of course, that whole myth that got started after the Civil War claiming, uh, well, you know, it wasn't really about slavery, but obviously that is not true at all. Slavery was the big issue there. There, so you know you can do interesting stuff here, but you have to be careful that you don't fall into the you know um, unfor- these pitfalls and bad um, uh, sort of you know historical myths and whatnot. So I would say. Plus, also, um, as I stated, I'm uh, very involved in the um, audio drama community, but I've also have looked into some alternate history comics, but I haven't really seen, like, you know, any audio dramas or comics that cover these um, very well-trodden scenarios. So, and I would very much like to see what people in those communities could do with these sort of scenarios, because I think that there's still potentially stuff you could do. And I think another 
thing that's important for us to realize is that to us, these things are very tired and played out, but to, for lack of a better word, let's call them the uninitiated normies, you know, these are still very fresh and new and Hey, if it gets them through the door, all the better. And that's, that's usually what happens with the forums is you get people who have come in, their experience with alternate history hasn't, wasn't like me. And they read Connecticut Yankee and Arthur's court. It's one of these sci-fi common, common threads. And that gets them really interested because like, Oh, what if, and then they come in with a timeline and there's some people are more charitable than others, but usually there's a, a kind of a gentle nudging like, okay, uh, so that isn't going to work and here's why. And, but that you're, you know, thinking some good, good thoughts there, but like Sam's point, like the reason my story exists in an alternate history where the South won the civil war, uh, despite what I just said of, of being tired of it mostly is directly because there is, there is stuff to be done with that in a, a direction that's not lost cause. And so as someone who grew up in the South and someone who loves Southern folktales and Southern culture, I uh, love John Henry. I love the story of John Henry and find out he was a real person and a union soldier. And then taking that story going, so, okay, if the South won the war, things would have been bad. And they would have been very, very bad for a lot of black people. So what does that look like in that timeline with this folk hero who is a representation of, of African-American masculinity for most of the 20th century and heroism and the working man fighting against the machine? Well, the machine in this story is the slave society and John Henry steps up to the plate to, you know, to help lead a slave revolt. So that that dynamic of how would a folk hero evolve in a different environment where a folk hero is still needed is I think a, a really interesting question. Got it. Yeah. I, I have a question that Charlie, I know you're international and you're in England, but I still don't consider you international because you know, you, the community, it sounds like there's quite a nice community with Britain and America. My question would really be international alternate history. Like, for example, I'm, I was born in India. And as you guys are talking, I'm trying to think, what if the separation of India and Pakistan never happened? You know, I mean, it, that's certainly a, a very big theme. Uh, I've seen that done in quite a few alternate histories. I've incorporated that idea into my alternate histories. It's something that like a lot of, uh, I, I think, uh, Josiah said earlier about imagining worlds that are better Avoiding the disaster that was partition is certainly something that we, like in alternate history, it'd be nice to see. And also, I think in many ways, could have easily been done in real history in what we call the original timeline. Oh, well. OTL, as we say. Yeah, would OTL, not have exactly. needed alien space bats. Would not have no, needed alien space no, bats. No, it would, have just, it would have just needed just in the 20s and 30s, and even in World War II itself, because I think even... By 1940, partition wasn't inevitable. Yeah, I mean, I think Alden history has a problem where the community that we're all part of, it come, they come also from the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, and to a lesser extent, like mainland Europe, like France, Germany, mm-hmm. Italy. And so there is this Western bias, not out of malice, but just because that's what they're familiar with. You right. write what you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so... There are some people who are very much trying to go out of that. Uh, there's okay, so Kim Stanley Robinson is a white American, but he wrote this this book called The Years of Rice and Salt, in which the the Black Death, instead of destroying a third of Europe, destroys ninety nine percent of Europe. And so it's like, what does 
the world looked like when you just remove Europe as a force. And he he goes into to China, to India, to Central Asia, to America, just, and just charts the next 800 or so years of what this world could look like without Europe as a cultural and political force. And it's one of the best old history novels ever written, easily. And, and, and it is renowned for its audacity in, in, in willing, its willingness to do that. And I've, I've found in my Chinese language studies that there are some manga, manga and stuff in Chinese language that are alternate history from a Chinese uh, perspective as well. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we, we could talk internationally. We're only going to be able to really talk about the English speaking world. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, right. I, but what, what's going on in other languages, they're, they're, I don't know what I don't know, but there seems, I don't know how deep it goes, but there does seem to be some level of this is, you know, mankind asked the question. What but, 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 um, there is, oh, sorry. Anyway, I was going to add that we have in recent years started seeing more international authors getting their work translated into English, like Alex did a review of this really interesting um, novel called To Climates Unknown by Arturo Serrano. Did I butcher his name? Uh, you'd roll the R, but that's basically it. Okay, anyway, so it takes place in this world where the Mayflower sank before it could get to the New World, and this sets off a chain of events that causes the United States to never become founded, or Anglo-America in general. And so basically what he was doing was like in the years of rice and salt asked what would the world be like without Europe, but he in climates unknown, it's basically, okay, what would the world be like if there was no United States? And, uh, and, um, let's see. And other stuff, Alex, um, you, you might know the, um, answer to this one, but I believe you reviewed another, um, alternate history wor- work from the, um, Arabic speaking world that was translated into English. I believe the premise was basically that Al-Andalus establishes colonies in the new world, but they get cut off from their motherland and then they get rediscovered. And there's this interesting, like Muslim native hybrid culture. Um, uh, do you know, know what that one might be? Yeah, Yaktinia, the the old world by Yasser Bajat. That's Y A Q T E E N Y A, and it's the he, Yasser Bajat is a Saudi Arabian. I met him at the the World Scientific Convention in last December in D.C., where he was one of the uh, panelists for the panel that gave out uh, Matthew Kressel's Sidewide Award, and it's about. So Al Andalus is conquered by the by, by the Christians, which is which is Muslim Spain, essentially. Just, just that's what Al Andalus means, and that they they settle in what I believe is supposed to be the American South. Reason being because they they, they have these uh, indigenous allies, which is rendered Sharuka Cherokee. And so it, it's about an expedition from the these Arabs in the New World going back to Al-Andalus to, to figure out what, what is there, what happened, like because they've been entirely cut off. And it's another very good book from someone not in an English-speaking environment. That's, that's great. Any final things? Anyone want to say something that you felt like, oh my gosh, you didn't ask me this, so I want to mention uh, something. I, I, just, I just, for my part, just to build on what you just said, I think we are starting to see more alternate history kind of the world works for the Arabic world. Also, I think from the French speaking world and the Spanish speaking world. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that um, interacts with the English speaking alternate history. Thank you so much. Anyone else? 
I want to plug Sam's short story in the anthology, specifically that the the whole taking of Coyote and the Sturgeon, he really got to the heart of what Alex wanted in the anthology, which was what would folk stories look like when cultures and history is different. So Excellent. get the book okay. for no other reason. Get it for Sam's story. Okay, well, I would like to plug Josiah's story because, you know, I've always been a big fan of the John Henry stories. He's one of my favorite folk heroes, so I was very excited to get to read that story, and it really lived up to the hype. In fact, um, I know I talked about my podcast that I'm trying to do and how I want to do folk tales in the second season. I might try to see if we can get an arrangement to do an adaptation of that at some point, but, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, but, you know. Excellent. Wish you well, Matthew. I don't really have anything to add, actually. <laughs> Great. Uh, Alex, do you have anything to add? Okay, so th- the name of the anthology is Allo Americana, Myths and Legends from Other Americas, edited by yours truly, Alexander Wallace, published through Sea Lion Press in December 2021. I uh, want to give a one particular plug to one story there because... So it had 11 authors, but the Amazon page, it's, it's authors can only take 10 authors. So there was one guy that got screwed and I get the impression he was kind of pissed at me for this, but I, I couldn't control it. And so I'm going to plug him. Uh, Ferdison Cayetano wrote a great story about folktale version of the American War in the Philippines. And as someone who's half Filipino, I really liked that one. And I just want to just call, give him a good word just to make it up to him. Ferdison Cayetano, F-E-R-D-I-S-O-N-C-A-Y-E-T-A-N-O. If he has a page and everything, he has other fiction published elsewhere. I just, just want to make it up to him. So just, All right. Yeah. Excellent, friends. Thank you so much for spending an hour with yeah. me, educating me. This was a fun discussion. I, I had a great time. I just absolutely had a great time. Thank you. And there you have it. What did you guys think? I loved it. I mean, I feel like I need to do more panels for my podcast. It's great when you have a group of passionate folks and I learned a lot. And please take a look at the show notes. I may actually consider an alternate history book at some point in my future. I will most likely be bringing Alex back with a few more of his friends to discuss an anthology about Ukraine upcoming for this podcast we have book club we are discussing green lights the matthew mcconaughey memoir hope you like that one and i have some author conversations scheduled and as you know i'm writing my own book and that takes up some time so please be patient with me i'm sorting through some stuff in my professional life but i'm constantly figuring more episodes for this podcast so I thank you for hanging in there with me. And that's all I have for this episode. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books, I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. 
The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>